Hi there, you're listening to Rune Landers. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a bit of a content warning. Rune Landers contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. Now this is things like rough language and frank descriptions of terrifying situations and adult topics such as sex work and drug use. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your cup of tea, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Now, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. On the last episode of Runelanders, we saw Thrasher telling Arabet that he'd be joining the guild whether he liked it or not. Consequently, Arabet discovers that more crime occurs on paper than you'd think. Meanwhile, Ziva comes clean about her eclectic education in Nari, and a lot of things make sense about her. Calder negotiates a deal that benefits both our criminal consortium and the halflings of Littleton, Magma finds that her place remains amongst the orcs of Bronstooks, whether or not she decides to join the Ludus, and Calder's sinister secret is revealed at last. That's the recap. When we turn our focus back to Bailey Mina... It is an incongruously bright and shiny day for this week of the autumn... As we open the scene on Bailey Mina's Maxstone Avenue in the borough of Queensbridge. We've been here before when we met Mr. Calder. Maxstone is a wide, clean street with newspaper boxes on the corners and newsies who take papers out of the boxes and then sell them for coppers. Uh, it's a professional sort of district. You'll find uh, lawyers and accountants and notaries and all of this other sort of thing up and down the street as well as your better class of boutique and so it is that we see the front window of Calder's Curiosities. The uh, slatted blinds are drawn open now for the day. We see them open up and uh, inobtrusively two of the Nigel then uh, get out of the window and out of sight. Through the mostly inattentive crowd slinks a tall thin figure in a deep cloak the sort of thing that sort of swaddling that you would see somebody with a terrible disfiguring disease where it's got a deep hood and it's all full of it's all thick fabric so that it's uh it masks and this figure 
strolls across the clean street, looking both ways so as to not get run over by the many carriages which putter along at slightly faster than walking speeds, and up to the door. The sign says closed yet, but uh, as this tall hooded figure approaches the door, we see the well-dressed, freshly shaved Mr. Locke Calder uh, going to turn the sign over. Over to you, Mr. Calder. I uh, turn the sign over and glance through the window and, and see there's somebody right there. So I open the door inwards and greet them. Why, good morning. Oh, good morning, Mr. Calder. May I enter your abode? Oh, Mr. Stitch, of course, please come in. Ah, thank you. Always kind of you to allow me in. Where are the lizards? Lizard? Oh, do you mean the Nigel? The lizards, the Nigel, the kobolds, whatever you wish to call them. Are they about or are we alone? Oh, they're, they're always about. Um, why do you ask? Oh, it's no matter. I, I know they'll gun me down if, if I if I were to hurt you. I just, I, I pop by, uh, getting up so early in the morning, the wonderful thing, a brisk walk that it is, the wonderful smells of Bellamina. And I thought I'd make my way over here for just a, a, a quick conversation uh, before my day begins. I have so many things to do today, including, you know, curing diseases and, you know, looking after the poor. And, can we sit for a moment? Is that, is that possible? Of course. Uh, such wonderful, noble work you do. Uh, would you care for a cup of tea? Oh, no, don't touch the swill. What, uh, what could I offer you for refreshment, friend? Well, I mean, it is the early a.m. I think the proper thing would be wine. I, I, I certainly have no lack of wine. Um, uh, come with me, and I'll, uh, I'll take uh, uh, Mr. Stitch uh, to the back. Uh, and then the trap is, no, I'm just, I take him to the back and I touch a little switch and a little pocket door slides open. It's a very plain little room there uh, with, uh, with a small table and two seats. And I say, have a seat, uh, I shall, uh, would you like, <clears throat> would you like me to fetch the wine or shall I have a Nigel get it for us? I like watching small things run about. Please ask the Nigel. All right, please have a seat. Nigel? Yes, sir. Please fetch us uh, two glasses and uh, a bottle of uh, something Scodian. The Nigel pauses for a minute, looks at you, and uh, in that same sort of creaking sounding voice, but in words that you can't make out unless you speak Draconic, Mr. Stitch. No, I don't. The Nigel looks at Calder and says, well, we have that Chateau Forte, sir, but it's not properly chilled that'll be fine at once sir yes sir i'll get it for you at once and away goes that nigel walking along in no big hurry kobolds are awkward when they walk because they have those long tails and that slightly forward posture so their walking looks like they're constantly trying not to fall on their face when they do it quickly otherwise it's just this slow plodding kind of uncomfortable looking locomotion but they he walks off and uh, gets out of the room and you know you can see the tip of his tail sway around the door and it's the last thing you see of him presently calder and stitch are alone now stitch you know you've seen calder's back twice today he turned around and walked in front of you twice so clearly he's comfortable in your presence even though you seem to be a little bit 
heightened this morning. This isn't helped by the fact that for the first time you notice he's carrying a weapon. Across the small of his back is a kukri-style blade sheathed in some very expensive reptilian leather. So tell me, Mr. Stitch, how may I help you? Before I begin, one question. Are there any windows to this room or exits other than the one we came in? Nope. This is a uh, an enclosed study for with uh, shelves of books on three of the walls and uh, the narrow wall. Like This is almost closet-esque, right? It's more of a sitting room for reading and not being disturbed. The door actually blends into the wall, right? This is the sort of place where, you know, like walking in here now, your incredible sense of smell can detect a lot of leather, even though the chairs are fabric. Odd. And uh, like you, you can smell the liquor on the caps and the bottles. The whole place is very contained. And uh, there's also like an undercurrent of fine cigars. Mr. Calder, ah, he says, sitting down, of course. Uh, one more one more scent that you pick out. It's faint. You almost don't catch it. But uh, Timothy. And my nose wrinkles ever so slightly at the smell. <clears throat> Noteworthy as his nose wrinkles, Calder, his whiskers also flatten slightly. Okay. Mr. Calder, um, I, uh, I come to you today as your friend, I think is the proper term. We've worked together so far. However, I, I'll be upfront with you. Well, as upfront as I possibly can be, because you know what I'm like. Uh, Whereabouts in the troll mark are you from, sir? I'm not entirely sure I ever mentioned where I was from. No, you haven't. See, I, I hate to say this, but you have a particular odor about you. I'm not to say that you stink, sir. That, that would be entirely rude on my part. But you have the undertones of a particular, shall we say, serpent that I am familiar with from the troll mark. Please roll me a quick uh, wisdom save. I think you meant initiative. No. (laughs) Oh, dear God. Oh, I'm just joking. Uh, 12 total. At the mention of the troll mark, which is a place you haven't been in many, many years, your neck hairs go up a bit, and uh, there is Stitch, the faintest smell of ozone in the room now, but fresh. Well, Mr. Stitch, I, I must say I'm most impressed. I had no idea your sense of smell was so singularly powerful. Oh, there's many things about me that you, you don't quite know about. See, I, I've traveled quite a bit in my day. Um, here, there, as part of the circus, as part of troops, acrobats, singing, uh, dancing, all these sorts of things. You know, always the wallflower in the background for the most part. I've been to such cities as uh, Corellan, Scalid, and uh, traveled to Trollmark, which is my home. And I've come across several things, seen lots of, lots of horrible things, such grand things as well. And one thing I, I've seen in the past is a belt, one that you happen to be wearing. So before we get into anything, and he holds up his hands and extends them without claws out as if to say, you know, peace, steady. Those long tabaxi fingers unfurl from tiger paws to the incredibly dexterous digits that we've seen Mr. Stitch use. 
both to grab halflings and heal the sick in the past. His nails, on the other hand, like when he does this, his nails are visible, but they are folded back against the tip of his finger. That's a way as he can put them when his hands are wide open. Just, I want to know what your intentions are with individuals within our group. Your concern is most laudable, Mr. Stitch. When you first came here with your friend Arabet to my shop, I must admit I was... I was not sure what to think of any of you, but over the past time, I have, well, frankly, I'm quite surprised, not only with the quality of people that you all are, but also the place I find myself in within your group. I assure you, I have only the best of intentions for all of us. I believe we are at an important crossroads in all of our lives. In fact, I believe we stand at an important crossroad for Belimina itself. And this will not be possible with any one of us missing from this group. So again, what are your intentions, Mr. Calder? My intentions, Mr. Stitch, are for us to advance as high as possible in this city and bring under our influence as many neighborhoods, as many sovereigns, as many people, as much power as we can. I think at this point there would be bristles on his fur and he forces them to lie flat as he still forces himself to sit down in that chair as calmly as possible. Um, very well. I can promise you this, Mr. Calder. I will keep your secret to the best of my ability and I will also be watching. You are a dangerous person. More dangerous than any of us that don't know what you are would know. And it becomes between you or Bet. You know who I'll choose. There are many things I might question about you, Mr. Stitch. Your choice of moaning beverage, for example. But I would never misunderstand your loyalty to Erebet. It is then that the Nigel appears with the bottle and the glasses to break the tension stitch and uh, as you slowly rotate your tigerish face you turn your wide slitted eyes to face the nigel the nigel falters in its step and pauses and comes to a stop and then you see its knees begin to shake because cobalt's right and it tries to hold up to the fact that there's a fucking tiger looking at it and it just can't do it. It just cannot do it. And it drops the bottle. It just drops the bottle and the glasses and it, it runs. And uh, man, there's a big bunch in, the, in between your shoulder blades because every feline fiber of your nervous system wants to run this thing down, play with it a while and kill it. Maybe eat it, maybe give it to somebody who knows. Right. But uh, you're more civilized and sentient parts win out and as you turn your attention back to calder you see that his face is well composed that scent of ozone has abated somewhat and it has been replaced with that acrid scent that lets you know that this conversation has had its desired effect you also maintain a fairly good poker face i mean your whiskers are tilted slightly back your ears are slightly on the hostile side of neutral 
And your posture is nicely relaxed. Like you could just reach out with those long fingers and snap anything up. And uh, you can smell that acrid scent of, of fear. You fucking scared a dragon. Well done, Mr. Stitch. Uh, it's not like a panicking fear, but uh, there's that whole, he understands that you glean from reading his false features. Very slowly, I am going to stand and kind of brush myself out a little bit. You know, all the little wrinkles, which there's tons of wrinkles all over me from this cloak, but I pretend. Thank you very much, Mr. Calder, for your calling. Uh, it seems that the wine has um, taken a different route this morning than into my belly. Uh, one last question is, uh, you know, I'm, I like to think that I'm fairly perceptive on things. I know your intentions with certain things, but what are your intentions with the girl? Uh, the girl? I, I, I believe she's been reunited with Michael Burley Jr., no? Oh, <clears throat> let, let me be a little bit less vague. The girl who's on fire. Ah, Miss Magma. It has, been, it has been longer than I can remember since I've had a dear friend. Mm -hmm. I believe that time may be over. Oh, good. You're not going to eat her. And I start walking towards the door. Uh, Mr. Stitch. Uh, yes, Mr. Coulter. I'm sorry. Uh, I do have places to go. I would like to say thank you for the visit. I would also like to remind you that recently at dinner, Ziva proclaimed to all of us the importance of being honest. While I agree with her, it is not a posture I have adopted very much. It is somewhat new to me. And I appreciate your patience. When you're ready to tell the rest of us, I will act surprised. And I turn and leave the room. The focus holds on the door to Calder's mini study as Stitch walks past the camera and Calder leans on the door frame a little bit unsteadily, willing his hands to stay still. Calder takes a deep breath, picks up the uh, bottle of wine gingerly and, uh, looks at the stain somewhat mournfully. He takes out that kukri and places him on the table, and he says, Well, Grandfather, what do you think of that? I think he scared the shit out of you. The next scene opens on Nari, who is wearing his best suit with his hair combed appropriately. He looks cool and calm and carefree on the surface. But, uh, well, as he sits in the waiting room of Stark Weather and Fair to be admitted to the boardroom, why don't we, uh, why don't we go from there, Nari? Well, I'm just uh, doing some last-minute checking, uh, making sure I've got all my papers ready in my satchel. I've got some extra notes that I've sort of uh, worked up on the the criminal underground of the city to present to the partners. And yeah, I'm just waiting to waiting patiently uh, with my with my satchel and my all my stuff ready to ready to go in whenever I'm summoned. Okay, so presently the uh, receptionist at the desk looks up from what she's reading and uh in an echoing voice says the partners will see you now and a door opens in the paneling just kind of swings open and there's uh there's the light rush of early autumn warmth 
you know, like one of those afternoons in early October, which is all sunshine and colored leaves and a pleasant sweater weather. Stand up, give myself a quick uh, brush and adjust the tie and walk on in there with the satchel uh, hanging at my side. Okay, so you walk uh, out of this anteroom to the boardroom and uh, as you step through the door, your feet crunch on uh, dry brown autumn leaves. The sunshine is like that beautiful rich golden hour stuff that uh, photography looks so great in, like the long light. And uh, there's just that sweet smell in the air. You look around you and you're in a grove of deciduous trees, maples and oaks mostly, by the leaves on them. And, you know, the leaves are falling in a steady stream from the sky, spiraling towards the grass, which grows as if manicured. Um, the place has the general air of a mortuary or a cemetery, rather. And it's, uh, it's quiet. Like there are no little hopping rabbits or prancing deer. There's just quiet, falling leaves and the rustle of the wind through those that remain on the trees. Is there any sign of anyone else? Just, just the Nothing forest? Nothing you can see, but you get a sense that they are waiting. All right. Well, if there's a, if there's a path there, then I'll start uh, walking along it. Otherwise, just sort of... There is indeed. As you take a step forward, there's a little zephyr that blows the leaves out of the way of a trodden dirt path that goes through this grove. And as you walk, the path is blown clear about six feet in front of you and covered again about six feet behind. Um, when you look over your shoulder, it quickly becomes apparent that running will do you no good. There are no bearings. You are just in a forest. And then the zephyr blows out and parts a few bushes and you step into a clearing with a pool in the middle of it. I'll walk up to the edge of the pool and take a look into it, being careful to stay back from the edge. There they are. As you look down into the pool, the partners look down at you. Ah, gentlemen, I found you. I took you. Just a voice. Nobody's mouth moved. They're just looking at you, and then there's the words, it took you, just are sinking into your mind. They have no sound. They have no tone. They have no timbre. They are just information. I'm here to report on the... Uh extra legal activities I've been assigned to. There's a flapping at your bag then as uh, the same Zephyr that cleared your path undoes the buckle and the papers in your bag fly up and rattle around like so many leaves before the autumn wind. They swirl up and land one by one into the pool and as they land on the surface of the water so one of the partners will reach out, pick them up and then they're just gone. The sky in the pool is gray and cloudy. But the sky where you are, like I said, it's that, you know, stratocumulus, uh, long light, big, fat, dramatic black clouds. It could rain, but probably won't. I'm happy to answer any questions if you, you have any. Herself has spoken. Another set of thoughts with, again, no tone, timbre, sound, any identifying features, yet somehow feeling slightly different, uh, feminine even, say... She is pleased with the state of your progress. Thank you. I believe I've assembled a competent team of operatives to help with our future endeavors. A third set of thoughts. She has a gift for you. I'll just politely raise an eyebrow 
somewhat quizzically. A gift, you say? Before we get to that, that is the matter of your failure. It's the first set of thoughts. My failure? Yes, your failure. The third set of thoughts. Your clever plan to escape your pact. I have to admit I have several of those on the go. Which one in particular has failed so spectacularly? The second set of thoughts, your sister. The first set of thoughts, it was a very clever plan. The third set of of thoughts, but not so clever. The second set of thoughts, not clever enough. And these things kind of all pile on top of each other because there's not really a lot of time between them. They all just pour into your mind kind of, oh, picoseconds apart. It's a lot. You think your nose might be bleeding, but then the ringing in your ears is a little hard to deal with. Well, if I'm not sure, I'll uh, reach for my handkerchief and make sure to politely, discreetly check it and also make sure I try not to bleed in the water because I don't really want to do any sort of physical exchanges. (laughs) That would be a terrible idea. You're right. So you catch the drop as it falls from your nose with your handkerchief. Lucky thing, too. It would have gotten it would have gone right in the water. The noise, all the noise and beating stops then. How will you rectify your failure? It was a clever plan. Not so clever, not clever enough, but it did not work. Your sister failed in your aims. We interfered. Of course we interfered. How could we not? But still, you were not successful, and this organization does not tolerate failure of any kind. Well, we must tolerate some failure. Nobody's perfect. Will you be quiet? I'm making a point. And then there's a bunch of squabbling. And then finally, the second set of thoughts goes, enough. What you will do with your failed sister is up to you. If she is a liability, this firm will not tolerate liabilities. If she is an asset, then she belongs to the firm. See to it. Make it so. If she is useless, make her useful. If she is useful, make her ours. Despite her academic failings, her... Skills are still considerable. I'll have to confer with her, see what her abilities may be useful for. There are clearly gaps and shortcomings, I admit. The girl is of interest to herself. Will you be quiet? Oh, she is. We know that. More squabbling. Any questions? As it may, herself would see you presently at her patience. Go about your... Normal routine, Nari Hulu. And think of ways in which you will atone for your mistakes here. Even as we congratulate your success, your victories must be flawless in future if you are to be of use to herself. I strive to make myself and those around me more useful to the company, to the firm. See, I knew it. He's a good boy. Will you be quiet all the same? Go about your routine and await her summons. All right. I will bow slightly more deeply than I was from looking down into the pond and then straighten up slightly. Yeah, you're you're a lot paler than the makeup you put on this morning. Well, as I straighten up slightly from the bow and, you know, give my back a little bit of a stretch too after leaning over for a bit there. Yep. I don't have like a mirror or anything with me, I guess. And uh, an illusion sort of thing, would I'd have to already know what it looks like. So I guess I'll just have to 
look around and see if there's an easy way to find my way back out. If they're going to open the doors back up, as it were, if I'm dismissed. Is a whirlwind of leaves. And when they subside, you stumble into the legal reference section of the city public library, branch number 33, the meadows. Ah, the meadows. <laughs> I'll uh, carefully tuck my handkerchief, uh, check, uh, see if my nose is still bleeding. I'll sort of nope. re sort of uh, adjust my tie again and sort of brush myself, make sure that there's no forest left on me. And walk back out of the uh, walk out of the library. So Zeta's been getting ready for her dates. What's the day looking like? She will put on a very nice fitted suit. Um, it has a sort of subtle uh, black on black kind of pattern on it. Uh, she wears a, like a purple blouse underneath. Uh, and she will try and get all of her hair into a bun. Takes a while, but she does manage eventually to sort of tame it. And uh, she has, uh, gets herself together. Uh, make sure she lets everyone know where she's going, or at least her brother. And Nari, is there like anything you want to yell at me about before I go? No. It's not Nari, it's this other guy. Uh, Nari's, at a, Nari's at a meeting this morning. All right. There's that the other guy, whoever he is, at Nari's house that doesn't really seem to have to do much with Nari, and you're not sure what their relationship is. The guy just kind of lives there for free, as far as you can tell. He doesn't really talk to you. He's a human, and uh, he's just like kind of politely ignores you whenever you're around. But no, Nari's not at his place, and uh, he hasn't dropped by the parlor. Okay, uh, what was your name again? Five, ma'am. Right. Um... Okay, just let Nari know that I'm going for my appointment. I'll be back later. And uh, who'd, who'd, who'd Nari be then, ma'am? Never mind. She just kind of wanders off. I will tell Mr. Jobsworth when he gets back. Jobsworth. Yeah. He works for Nari. Yes, I expect... Um, well, no, actually, Mr. Jobsworth works for his lordship, the Earl of Juniper Hill. Right. Who's my brother? Ah, uh, no, ma'am. The uh, the Earl of Juniper Hill is from a, a, a fine, distinguished human line, ma'am. Oh, right. Sorry. Never mind. I'm getting him confused. Oh, uh, no. There's no there's Obviously. No, they're, they're lords of the land, ma'am. Sorry, they're not Fayborn in the slightest. Right. Good try, though. She looks so confused. She is really going to have to figure out what is going on with this. We really have to pin down this Jobsworth guy. He doesn't seem to be around at the moment, though. Well, it's funny you should mention, because uh, as you're speaking of Jobsworth, he, uh, he comes in the door. Like he, you're, you're sitting in the kitchen waiting for Nari, and Jobsworth walks in, looking rather flustered. Hey, 
Ah, hello, Madam Hulu. Yeah, you need to sit down. Um, I suppose I have a moment. And I'll sit down across from her. Politely fold my hands on the table. What can I do for you? So, like, who exactly are you? And she's giving him a very, very intense look. Well, Ziva, I need you to make a perception check first off while you're staring holes at Jobsworth. All right. Oh, that's not very good. That's a seven. Well, okay. So who is he really? First off, you know, he's a gnome, so great. You know, who is he really? Why, where is he? What does he have to do with your brother? Why is your brother associating with gnomes? At least you think he's a gnome. Oh, he's too tall to be a gnome. Too skinny to be a dwarf. About the right size for human, but a little fey for all of that. You know, he's a ginger bastard anyway. Sticks out in a crowd. Stop me if I'm taking too many liberties, Eric. Uh, actually, Jobsworth specifically doesn't stick out in a crowd. That's the, the point of him. Nari's the flamboyant version. My, yes, my apologies. Let me rephrase that. But this guy isn't... Well, no, he's not a gnome, really. He's too tall to be a gnome. He's too thin to be a dwarf. He's too fey to be a human and too human to be any elf that you'd ever seen. Strange sort of person. Doesn't really fit anywhere. Closer, Eric? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, like... um. Who is he really, and what does he have to do with your brother? She's just sort of glaring holes in him. Is there something wrong, man? You're not answering my question. Nari, sorry, Ziva, roll intimidation. Uh, first, she's going to uh, release the familiar um, in the most horrifying form she can conjure up uh possibly probably something skeletal uh then she will just a second um so i just came back as jobsworth from the interview thing that's that's the idea here right so like i i'm in a magical disguise i didn't go home and like change that's that's the thing No, no you went to work as nari and walked in the door as jobsworth well, I, I wonder if, like, after a big meeting like that, I would have gone on one of my sort of walks in disguise through the city, maybe, kind of thing. That would totally make sense. You yeah, know, okay. Have a well, moment to you, think, yes. you know. Well, I mean, either way, I, like, it would totally make sense for me to, like, come back after sort of a moment like that as jobs worth, whether I intended to or not. Just that would probably be my reflex or they were screwing with me or, you know, I needed okay. to clear my head a bit after that meeting kind of thing, right? So... Fair enough. Just if, as, if, as an idea, if that works, that would just be just one of my sort of going out as the leper and then returning home in a better sort of outfit, as it were. Well, you kind of were noticed leaving the library because nobody saw you go in. You just kind of strode out of the back dark of the books without like, like at about opening too, right? Like somebody walks out as soon as the doors open. It's a little bit odd. Um so yeah, you shook off the uh, you shook off your attorney suit and uh, put on Jobsworth to pick your way back across the city. It's taken a while. So yes, you've just walked in the door as Jobsworth to find Eva there and uh, five 
having just walked out the door. That bloody accent of his shifts all over the place, and it is as inconstant as the rain. He really has to master one. You should probably mention that to him next time. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to stop playing people's characters and get out of the way. Uh, Zeevo also used a little minor illusion, and she will attempt some to... The minor illusion will enhance the shadows that she tends to draw when she starts to pull onto her magic. But she really fails to be intimidating uh, with a measly uh, seven. Did you roll that with advantage? I did not. Well, you should. Ooh, that is a 17. Okay, Nari will save. Oh, sorry, 18. Just uh, just a second, I'll get my dice out here. And just clicking over to Nari, and my computer is taking its time here. Just a second. No worries, we can always cut the silences out, right? Perfect. Now, what is grinding my computer like this? Well, the roll's a five, so I don't think I get... I might get a plus one, but I don't think it matters. So, yeah, skipped the waiting for my computer because it doesn't matter anymore on a five. Yeah, I, I think she uh, I think she got you. Um, one second. All right, Nari, she's... Uh, oh, I got a plus four, but still not enough. Plus four is awesome, yeah. So uh, that's what? You're all this seven plus four? Uh, I, got a, I got a nine total. Yeah, right, okay. So, uh, yeah... Ziva suddenly bunches all these power up, right? And uh, there's like all the shadows are leaning in towards her and she reaches into the pocket of her gown and pulls out this fucking octopus man. Like if there's ever anything more sinister than an oily black octopus that she like just a full size octopus, by the way, that she just pulls out and throws on the desk. Right. And it, and it, uses its legs to crawl across the desk towards you. It's all, bun- it looks like bunched muscles and and just like tentacles and this hungry, evil fucking black eyes. This thing as it comes, it just kind of moves a little bit across the desk towards you and all the shadows in the room lean in and her purple eyes just highlight against the deep shadows that cloak the rest of her face. And she's like, I'm going to ask you again. Who are you really? And man, it's uh yeah, she's she is the she is the end of everything. She is death in a dress. She's uh she she she's uh she's the Reaper, man. She's she's it. And uh every single human part of you quails in fear at your imminent end. So one more time, tell me who you are. Everything. As you're quailing in fear before the awesome specter of death, which is your baby sister, something inside you kind of breaks. That's it, man. Like, after everything, after all of this, like, you know, you you just wanted a little peace and quiet, and she's going to come in here, get in your face, and fucking do this? Really? Let her have it, Nari. Okay, I drop the illusion and go back to my good outfit as Nari and just, like, stand up abruptly from the table. That's quite enough, Ziva. 
And in an instant, the room contains both the terrible, great, and beautiful necromantics and a full-on goddamn fairy lord. The place just gets verdant on his half of the room as the shadows deepen on hers. And between them, there is a bit of a front as unchecked, random, ever-growing, ever-changing, constantly mutating, all possibilities of life stand in the same room as the mistress of the powers of death and beyond. And now it's your, and now it's your turn to roll your will save. Zero. Okay. That is an 18 plus four. So that would be a 22. What's your charisma modifier, Nari? Uh, plus four. Uh, f- 18 total. So what'd you roll? I, I rolled an 18 plus four. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he rolled 18 in total. So um, you don't quail in quite the same way as, uh, as he did. In fact, you are not moved to fear, but holy fucking shit, this, your brother is a what? Like there is at least half of your blood which wants to bow down and suck the floor because, oh my God, he is a lordling. You're not worthy. You are not worth his presence or time. He is a great and powerful lord of the she who binds men's souls with his words. How dare you think to speak against him? And every fairy cell in your body is... Uh, is really doubting the wisdom of what you've just done, even as the necromantic sits back with cool detachment, knowing that all things end, even this. There's a bit of a shiver as you decide which one you're going to go with, and I'll leave that up to you, Shireen. You, I thought we were being real with each other here. I have dangerous and demanding work. I have to compartmentalize my life occasionally. Can't lie to me. You can't. Jobsworth has barely interacted with you, let alone lied to you. And yet you sit my household down for a, a chewing out, an interrogation. Fine. There are sprites and pixies of every kind crawling around just under the skin of the world. So as you look at the doorframe behind where Nari sits, uh, the grain of the wood, the knots blink as fairy eyes peek through into this world on his side of the room. Nari, from your side of the room, the shadows have all reached in and they all love your sister. She is as white as moonlight and as deep as shadows. As I mentioned, death in a dress. There's, a, there's an obvious line on the table between you where you both have settled now, right? Hers is cloaked in shadow and uh, like there are there's moss and flowers starting to sprout from the wood of the table on your side. You, you're supposed to be, you know what you are to me. You know, I can't have you lying to me. I need to trust you. Having my own secrets is not the same as lying to you, Ziva. Yeah, but- You have your own, I'm sure. I hope you at least can learn some discretion and ability to keep some secrets. I know. I'm just the big disappointment, whatever. Disappointment? Yeah. I see. I'm going to fix it, but if I ever thought that I couldn't trust you, 
I don't know what I would do. I've done everything for you. I'll continue to do everything I can for you. But this is a dangerous world, and we both need our discretion, our wits, and all the resources we can muster to get by, survive, and hopefully thrive. Yeah, and I have a lot, and I have a lot more to give, but you need to trust me, too. I'll sit back down, and I I do trust. I know I look good right now. I trust you, Ziva. I trust at least your intentions. I trust your abilities. I I will say I don't always trust, again, your discretion, your subtlety, perhaps, sometimes. Oh, yeah, you made that pretty clear. Speaking of that, Ziva, for all of your life, like you don't have a dad, right? Never met him. Never knew him. Your mom didn't even describe him because he was a dream. He is the same dream as Nari, as Nari's dad, according to your mom. But fuck, he's never stopped by to see you, you know, never bounced you on his knee. You never had any other male influence in your life except for this man standing, except for this fairy lord sitting across the table from you even now. You know, like this, the, like I said, this Prince of the She with all of his glamour and like, fuck, he's handsome. You know, not that it's any sort of like that to you, but God damn, was there ever a man more perfect than your brother? You know, the way he just went it's just swanning. Not fair. Yeah, he just went swanning off to school like that and made his way through and then came out with a big job with bags of money to throw around and fucking friends everywhere he looked, right? You, yeah, on the other right. hand. You're a goddamn genius, but you can't fucking talk to people. Nope. Everyone is just... I'm weird, and they brush me off. Except for Nari. Like, he's always cared for you and your mom, no matter what. Nari has always been there, right? So for him to blow up at you like this, yeah, you're not scared and running, but uh, little sister Ziva, you know... Yeah, you're right. To... He's right, you know. From the way that he sees it, he's absolutely right, and you get that as he explains it. I know. I'm just... Everywhere I go, I just fuck it up. So, I mean, you can save and trust me and whatever, but then you don't trust me with this, and you go and pretend to be a whole other person. So... I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just going to fuck it up. You are one of the most talented and skilled magicians I've ever witnessed. But I am sorry to have to say that there are also some obvious gaps in your schooling. I, I want to help you fulfill your potential. You Even just for your own sake, for bringing a powerful and impressive wizard into the, into society. But we have some work to do together before we can reach that. Do you trust me enough for me to help you with these things still? I guess. I do genuinely apologize if my secrets and my side dealings have caused you any pain. 
that was never my intention. I know that. It was just super fucking me up, and I was so confused. And who is this Earl of something or another? What? Well, I suppose as a gesture of the trust I genuinely do have in me. That's also me. Please don't tell anyone. Wait, what? And with that, Nari is still wearing Jobsworth's clothes, but his features just kind of shift and change. And like his ears have no points at all. He gains about 40 pounds by the look of things. Uh, His face gets kind of jowly. And he's like one of those really good time dudes that kind of tubby dude at the college party who's like everybody's buddy and wants to date the pretty girl but can't get up the nerve to talk to her right that whole kind of everybody's buddy sort of dude shy around girls but uh good dude all the same yeah that's what he looks like but human as the day is long his hair even changes color i'll do an elaborate bow like a full courtly sort of routine as i change into him that is so cool. I know, right? I can just walk anywhere as whoever I want. Go to a fancy restaurant. His accent is so fucking snotty now, right? Even though as you listen, it still sounds like Nari to you that you're in on the get that you're in on the gag, right? But still this doesn't sound oh yeah, Scott. I walk in any restaurant I want. Oh my. That is so cool. Between the two of us, if we can join our forces and work together, cover each other's backs where we aren't quite up to speed, barely mean it won't know what hit it. Okay. Okay, so I guess it's like, yeah, it's like when I first met the witches. It's like, it's like kind of school again. I have to learn some stuff. It's okay because I got help. You have me, and you have the rest of us. The rest of, I suppose, technically, you could call us a gang. We'll have to find a... Oh my god, we're a gang. (laughs) We run a gang, dear. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of awesome. Okay, well, I have to go. Oh, yes. Um, yes. You have to yell at me about that first. I don't think I need to yell. I think you know exactly what I'm going to say. No, but you don't, should, maybe, maybe, but say it anyway. Don't agree to anything a demon ever suggests without thinking it very carefully through. Right. Exact wording is very important, even with, well, an oral contract. I'm just glad it's only tea. How many T's, I can't say, but just T. You'll be fine. Yeah, I know. I'll be fine. In fact, have fun. Don't be out too late. <laughs> Whatever. Are you going to, like, chaperone me? I won't go anywhere near this meeting unless you think you need a lawyer. <laughs> okay. Bye. And so Ziva goes out, gets in her gig, and drives Pate across town to the archive, where she goes down the staircases and the lifts and the long, dusty hallways, which never seem to be the same route twice, interestingly enough. At length, she comes to the desk which hems in the darkness, where lurks the archivist. And as she walks in, 
the lights flare up, and from the dim, there is the voice which says, mm, Hello, darling. Well, Arabet, you never would have thought it, but it seems that these things generally take place in the middle of the day. You had no idea that uh, a thieves' guild did so much business in broad daylight. But there it is, high noon, and you're waiting, dressed in plain black, close-fitting clothes, unarmed and without tools, as the as the examiners specified. Now, in order to be a journeyman of the guild, you have to show proficiency in three of the core skills that the guild values. These are of your choice, of course, but it's best to stick to your strengths. So, Arabet, which trials will you be undertaking this afternoon? Sleight of hand, acrobatics, and stealth. So you're going to be doing ledger domain, pickpocketing, that sort of thing, finessing locks? Yes. And generally stealing from things. Uh, and then what were the other two? Acrobatics and stealth? Correct. All right. So you wait just like you wait kneeling like every postulate does. And there are two other, like these, these, these guys are kids, if that one's even a guy. You're not sure in the gloom if that person is half-elven or female. But, uh, you know, they're in the gloom anyway. It also occurs to you that both of the other people in this room can see in the dark. It's kind of an advantage, you suppose. When the first guy takes his dagger and swings it at you, I need you to roll initiative. 21 total. You go first. So, the kid beside you, the guy, the, the one you know is male, probably 16 years old, waiting there in the quiet. Sees you like kind of tilt your face towards him, looking in his way, kind of trying to get a feel for him. Turn your face the other way, look at the other student, and when you go back, there's a dagger on its way to you. What do you do? Get out of the way. It, it basically, it, it's a strong, underhanded, like full-on sideways stab. But you were instructed not to move from your position until one of the masters came to get you. So I, as the dagger comes in close to me, I literally lean in with the part of my coat that can catch it and try to tangle it up in the bottom half of the coat and pull it out of the guy's hand. Very good. I need you to roll an attack. Just unarmed. But because you're trying to use your coat as a weapon, I will call that an improvised weapon. And uh, because I like it, I'll give you advantage on the roll. All right, I could use the advantage. That's uh, going to be a 20 total. All right. Um, so you see him stab 
Like I said, it's, it's just a flat, underhanded, sideways stab. Uh, you lean into it and catch it in the like you lean into it and catch his wrist in the crook of your elbow, um, making a half moon motion with your forearm. You clear the knife out of his hand, tie his arm up, grab the sleeve of his coat. He's wearing much the same outfit as you are, and then just with a quick tug, right? Roll a strength check. 15. You just haul him out of place. A light comes on over top of him. Now it's time to deal, now it's time to deal with the attack coming at you from the other side. From the other side? Yeah. From behind, the uh, other person has pulled out a uh, pulled a blowgun out of their sleeve and uh, blown a dart at you. So I'm going to roll. And I can't roll for shit tonight. Uh, as soon as the light comes on, you see they reel back because the uh, the change in lighting just burns their light-sensitive eyes. The dart goes wide entirely. It, like, misses you by yards. Excellent. I uh, kick the knife over towards her, the other person's feet. Okay, the, oh, the original blade from the first person. Yeah, the uh, like uh, you take your because you're because you're kneeling, right? The uh, blade had fallen on the on the floor in front of you, just in front of the mat where you were kneeling. So with the hand that isn't involved in pulling the other guy out of place, you spin the knife end for end, right? Like it, it spins across the floor and comes to rest handle first on the uh, blowgun girl's knee. She looks down at it for a second. Top of the round, you. I still have this other guy in my arms. you got his arm all tied up, yeah. He's face down, bathed in the light, and he can't move. Is he all the way on the ground, or is he still sort of off balance? Now you hauled him off onto his face, and now he's pinned by this light from the ceiling above. Okay. I uh, tug the belt out of my coat in a very quick move. Try to hit the girl in the face with the uh, belt buckle. Okay. You can roll uh, another improvised weapons attack with advantage this time. Again, that'll be another 20. All right. Uh, let me see. She's going to try and dodge that. Nope. She blinks off the sudden change in light, brings the blowgun up, uh, loading another dart with her tongue. She takes a breath, and you nail her between the eyes with the heavy buckle of your sash. She goes reeling back from that and uh, onto her ass and then rolls onto her back. The light comes on and pins her down. In front of you, a door opens. I uh, curl the belt back around my waist. Straighten your coat up. Wouldn't do to look like a slob. Let this kid's wrist go and uh, arrange yourself as you go walking through the door. The door closes behind you. When you turn, there is no mechanism on this side. There are no mechanisms anywhere in this room that you can see. Um, you are sealed up. It's about the size of your, of your average closet in a two-bedroom apartment, and uh, 
lined with wood. Now, that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that there are holes drilled in the wood on the floor and on the ceiling. From the holes in the floor, as soon as the door clicks closed, there's a ticking and then a hissing. And then presently after about a second, the first orange wisps of gas start to creep out of the holes. You got to find a way out of here before it fills with gas. I use my hands to feel the uh, sides of the doors and I check for some sort of hidden mechanism. Perception? Uh, that's a total uh, 21, actually. Okay, so you're sliding your hands all over the paneling and you see that one of the knots is slightly raised away from the rest of the panel. Um, you go to push on it and it feels like it's going to move a bit. I think I'm going to try and pull it, actually. Okay, you pull it and there's a click and the door opens. Hmm, that's what I thought. I take a, a step through the door before the gas can take me down. The gas just drains away. There's the sound of fans from far beneath. It is amazing what they've done with this opera hall. It really is. Like everything backstage, uh, like there's no dressing rooms. There's training rooms. There's labyrinths. This place, uh, it looks like an opera house from the outside. The Guildmaster's office is up in the fly above the pit, right? Um just out in the middle of nowhere, hanging by cables from the ceiling. Yeah, runs to... his hands through his hair and uh, takes a look for a route up to that office. Well, it looks like you're going to have to either walk a tightrope from that balcony over there or else learn to fly or figure out how to get a key that operates the mechanism for the bridge from this side. And all three seem to be strangely in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I think uh, Arabet will uh, move carefully towards the, uh, the tightrope because I like a little, little danger on the walk there. All right. So uh, you, uh, you're, you're on the main floor, right? So you're looking up at all this. And uh, you can see that there's like all the like all the theater balconies and opera hall staircases. All the things that were opulent are still there, even though they're worn. They are well maintained. This is a guild with some pride and craft, right? And so they maintain their hall like uh, a place of pride. However, like this place was old when they decommissioned it as an opera hall, and it's been a thieves' guild hall for at least twenty five years, right? At least as long as you've been on the job. So I uh, will go and uh, find a way up to the balcony uh, through the back stairs. And then... Okay, uh, and as you go up, the, as you head up the stairs, uh, I need you to roll a perception check. 19. 
they're not those ones. There's no wear on the carpet in those stairs. Excellent. So that's very fresh and very dangerous. Uh, the railing looks solid, though. Okay. I'm going to try the railing. All right. So uh, quickly getting out from the open, you go dashing over towards the stairs, noting that there's no, way, no wear on the carpet. You spring up to run up the banister railing. And as you do, um, crossbow bolts fire from right where you were standing. You uh, land on the banister light as, you'll forgive me, Mr. Stitch, a cat and catch your balance. Uh, it's a quick tip, tip, tippy toe, run up the banister from there to the first landing and then a parkour leap with your kind acrobatics roll, Arabet. 25. It's actually a quick tip, 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 toe, run up to the first banister post where you plant both of your feet and turn a graceful backflip up onto the upper railing of the first mezzanine. You land like Spider-Man. And uh, shuffling your feet, turn yourself exactly in place to see what else is around you. Yeah, I give myself a second to acclimatize. Is it dark here? It is dark up here. Now, thankfully, they said show up in uh, proper working clothes, but without tools or weapons. Right? They said yes. nothing about pharmaceuticals. Now would be a good time to take one of those night vision pills that Stitch that Stitchy gave you. Good. I throw in a night vision pill while I plaster myself up against a wall, so I'm making myself scarce and uh, pretty small down towards the floor of the carpet. Okay, well, getting off the getting off the like the railing right now is your safe place. You don't see or really sense anybody else as you crunch the uh, the capsule between your teeth. The bitter liquid leaks underneath your tongue and is absorbed, but uh, it's going to take like thirty seconds to set in. So your best bet right now would be to hang on to the to hang on to the uh, spokes along the balcony. And just brace your feet there. You should be safe. If the staircase is trapped, nobody's coming up after you, right? There's nothing but wall behind you. And uh, if you're hanging off, you can always just drop down. Good. I keep my eyes peeled forward. Okay. So as your eyes very quickly adjust to this gloom, um, it goes from being like vague hints and little spots of light from cracks in the roof for in the wall or something like that. You know, little cracks that happen in a big old building like this uh, to a slight grayish haze to sort of, you know, like one of those muted color filters that looks black and white, but you can still see hints of blue and green and red. Yes. That's what you can see the hallway in now. And now that you look, it is crisscrossed with tripwires that you wouldn't have seen a minute ago. How far more, much farther does the railing go? Well, the railing goes back to the stairs to your left and over to the wall on your right. Okay. 
I like staying against the wall. I think I'll go that way. All right. So you shuffle over to the wall and uh, notice now that there are sconces on the far wall, like should be for lamps, right? And gas lamps, in fact. But uh, based on your entrance door, you're, uh, you're not so sure it's the same kind of gas it was originally intended. I cover my mouth with my, uh, my uh, scarf, pull the hood over, make sure that nobody can see me. And uh, I work my way around the, the, the wall on the right and keep my eye on those sconces. Well, there's one thing, though, Stocko, or sorry, that Arabet, that should be mentioned. Sorry. There is one thing to mention first before you go, Arabet, and uh, that's that, well, Mr. Calder sure does have an awful lot of neat things in his shop, and since Stitchy can just do, can do just about anything, the... Uh, pocket sewn on newly sewn onto your coat uh by billy the bolt maker almost matches the rest of the oil skin it's uh just a little bit newer looking but only in bright daylight and since it's dim nobody can see and nobody can see you stick your hand into that pocket pull your bolt caster out of where it's holstered in your closet check it for a second and then put it back in its holster before patting the pocket flat your Excellent. coat your coat is now equipped with a pocket of many hands that's great all right so your bolt casters are at home just like you promised but uh, you didn't say you wouldn't bring a way to get at them. How far am I from the mezzanine balcony now? You uh, just have to cross the hall. Go to, you have to go down the hall about 30 feet past the stairs through the main door. Uh, that'll involve a lot of hopscotching through those tripwires and uh, trying not to alert any of the lurking apprentices who will be waiting for you in the dark. That's when you notice, because your dark vision is great for about 20 feet, then it just goes back to dim. Right? This is another thing you're noticing. Um, and now that 20 feet is about 19 and a half. So you uh, dash along the railing once again, doing a double foot, a double foot plant off of the banister post and grabbing onto one of the chandeliers, which hangs down the center hallway. With a quick swing, back and forth, there's one pump with your legs, two pumps, and let go. And like a trapeze artist, acrobatics, please. 29. 
you pretty much brachiate along the chandeliers, which clink and rattle and smell like gas until you can see the circle of light, which sits in the center of a carpet before the big open doors. It's glowing blue, which in thieves' cant means safety. I take out some of the glass caltrops that uh, Magma guy made me, and I uh, scatter them on the floor in front of, uh, in the on the road ahead. And then I swing from chandelier to chandelier. Well, this actually is uh, all right. So it's very acrobatic and trapeze artist, and you know, you swing over with your hands on one tra- on one chandelier, let go, grab the next one with your feet, and uh, throwing caltrips all over the place. Then, when I get to the uh, end of the hallway, where near the blue, I drop down. All right, there's a graceful backflip and a cat-like landing in the middle of the blue circle. The lights in the hall behind you come on and the apprentices behind you step out of their hiding places a little bewildered, like, wait a minute, we were watching. Like heavily trapped, heavily covered, and you just swung down the middle of it like Errol Flynn. Well done. So that's stealth and ledger domain. I uh, look at the mezzanine balcony that I'm standing in now and I uh, look up at the booth that's still up ahead where the master thief is quartered. Yep. And I uh, step out into the darkness and I make myself disappear in the side, lo- side of the balcony. The camera shifts to a couple of the other guildsmen who were covering your approach and expected to get you, uh, who are kind of talking in low voices amongst themselves. One of them looks over at Arabet as Arabet stands up from where he's landed in a crouch, straightens himself up, and as he steps out of the circle, turns his scarred face to this anonymous guildsman, shoots him a wink, and then just fucking fades. Now, Bet, you've got to figure out a way to stay invisible while you get across the one tightrope, the one visible tightrope, to the guildmaster's office, or find another way. I'm going to try a commando crawl. Across the, across the tightrope? Yep. You're going to need to do a perception check. And as you step out onto the balcony from the hall behind you, you can hear, oh, God damn it. Fuck. Who left these all over the place? <laughs> and while they're distracted, I'll make good, make good to get a, get on the go. And I uh, roll a 18 perception. Okay. Um, the 18 on perception Everything looks sturdy enough. Like, I mean, it's it's a great big fucking eye bolt that goes right through the balcony and it's like two huge lock nuts with lock washers and all kinds of gunk on the threads. So, you know, it's not going to go anywhere without serious tooling. And the uh, cable itself is a one inch thick cable, like a steel cable. I will tie off my own rope just in case. Okay. And then you reach out to, like you reach out, grab the cable. It is heavy and thick, and it stretches off across the distance. Now, 
You're going to need to make acrobatics all the same, even though you're going to do a commando crawl. And uh, sure. then 26 on to... the acrobatics. Okay, now you're going to have to roll a stealth. I uh, get uh, 21 on the stealth. And you are committed to this course? I am committed. Put your weight on the cable, and there's a click as current runs through it. Lots of current. Nice. All kinds of electric current. I need you to roll a dexterity save. I will use my uh, uncanny dodge. And my that seems suit. like an appropriate use of that skill, yes. And uh, my save roll is, what, what were we saying the save roll was? You need to make a dexterity save. Dexterity is 26 total. I rolled a 19. Okay. So this thing just lights up. And it casts light all over the main room. Just lights it up like the electric light show that it is. What was your stealth check? Stealth check was 21. And I'm going to roll off the uh, line, of course, because well, it's electrified. I let the cable swing me underneath the balcony. I mean, well, my own guy line. Yeah, your, your, your rope, the one that you just tied off, uh, your lanyard, if you will. Um, yeah, so you put your weight on it. It goes zap. You let go super quick. It uh, is tied around your waist because you haven't had time to uncoil it yet. It's a rope from inside your coat, of course, which you pulled out of your pocket, right? So as you kind of, as you fall, it... Uh, plays out of your pocket you clap your hand on your pocket the portal is closed the rope is jammed and you swing up underneath the balcony uh acrobatics again please 18 all right you you barely catch this man you barely stick this catch but uh the rope goes limp and you are up among some moldings uh where like there's a, a recessed ceiling for the gallery below. And uh, in this trough around the outside of the room, there would normally be oil-fired lights in the days before electrics, you see. They'd get up here and pour a bunch of lamp oil in here and then just light, a, light up these wicks and they'd slowly burn and light and reflect and all this sort of thing. So it's kind of ironic that you're taking cover in the lighting. There you go. I like that. Um, I'm going to uh, take a look around for another road up. There's that mechanism which works the bridge. You could find a key for that, or you could just pick it. Thing is, in order to pick it, you're going to need some tools. So I uh, will uh, climb back up into the hallway. And I will have to sap some poor sucker that's there. All right. So you slink down from your hiding place. Roll stealth. 29. All right. You uh, climb back up over the balcony, across the railing, and out into the big caltrop hallway where the guy who's... There's a guy sitting there with his boot off, picking glass out of his foot. Um, so you help yourself to his tools by rolling sleight of hand. 33. 
Yeah, he doesn't even notice. He's too pissed off about the glass he's pulling out of his foot and boot. And uh, then you slink back into the dark. Now, the problem is there's no way for you to cross back into this hallway and down the other hallway without being seen. There's just too much light. There's no avenue of approach. And uh, unless you could teleport the 15 feet you'll need to get the shadows you'll need for cover, it just can't be done. So you're out in this darkened balcony with the sparking wire, looking across at a 30-foot gap between you and the next balcony. The Guildmaster's booth, which hangs out in the middle of nowhere, uh, is about 50 feet. So I'm just picturing this. I have 30 feet to cross. 30 feet to cross to get to the mechanism or 50 feet out to the Guildmaster's hanging office. Okay, so I'm thinking that I can take a running long jump of up to about 14 feet, right? Because I'm at plus four. Indeed, it would be had Magma not loaned you her boots. Excellent. Like, Magma is quick nowadays. She is fast in these boots, just like she jumps around like Spider-Man in these things. So uh, that's what gave you the idea to like you're you're agile as it is with those boots with or with boots like that you don't think there'd be anything that could keep you down so talking to calder well no that was the only pair that he had but turns out they're magic and will fit anybody's feet all magma had to do is let you stretch them on and wear them for a day excellent so I uh, estimate how far I can jump in that those boots as compared to my regular 14 feet. Your jump distance is tripled. Really? So now that I've got the tools, I'm going to take a jump right over to the booth. But for that now, you are going to need to have another pill given to you by Mr. Stitch because you don't have the movement to do that. Right, You have 30 feet of movement, and the boots don't let you jump further than 30 feet. In order to do that, you'll need to take the two-round haste potion capsule that Stitch gave you to complement your night vision. Excellent. Well, we're going to break that 30 foot. You know, you dig your feet into this, your toes into the spongy soles of these boots, and like, take a deep centering breath, and... Uh, For a second, you can taste the potion as it goes trickling down the back of your throat. And uh, there's this feeling as your heart beats faster and your pulse quickens and your skin gets tight and all the hairs stand up at the end. And you really have to go, you gotta gotta, gotta, gotta go now, 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 now. And uh, when your eyes snap open... You can see in the dark to a distance of 20 feet, everything is super primed. You have never felt better or more alive. You know, not since, oh God, before the buster job. And uh, you tuck your toes in and everything slows down as Arabit takes one stride, two strides, three strides. His fourth stride lifts him up. His fifth stride puts his foot on the railing of the balcony next to the electric trap and launches him out and there is a moment as the camera looks at him from the seating below 
capturing Arabet, sailing out, his arms down at his side, almost bird-like in his pose, as he sails across the classically painted domed ceiling of the opera house, with a tuck, Arabet lands seamlessly, whereupon the light goes on and the guildmaster turns his seat to face him with a journeyman's sash in his hand. Brother Arabet, congratulations. You've passed your first three tests and as you are sponsored by our brother Thrasher, you will be appointed a conditional master until your apprentice should pass or fail his own journeyman's examination. So says me, and from around the yes, outside of the opera hall, there are many booming voices that say in unison, so say we all. At that moment, the camera cuts out to where Timothy has been waiting nervously in the wings with all of the other apprentices waiting for the results. When the door to the, when the, door to the first chamber opened and the two unsuccessful candidates came out, one with a great big square buckle mark in the center of her forehead and the other one just looking ashamed and embarrassed and, and Arabet didn't. Timothy took heart. The other apprentices in the room watching on the screens, looking around them to see if this Arabet would appear out of the shadows anywhere. To be seeing nothing, they train their eyes on shadows. They watch the screens, which watch the halls. There's the odd flicker of movement, but nothing. Oh, wait. Is that a man swinging from the chandeliers? No, couldn't be. Oh, wait. Yes, it was. Arabet is now in the blue circle. And Timothy gets a bright smile on his face and he, he kind of perks up a little bit as the other surly apprentices kind of watch. And, and then there's a, there's a bit of a, like, I mean, there's a bit of a following. Some of the other apprentices get into this, right? As uh, you know, there's a shot from a high oblique where the guy pulling glass out of his foot gets his pockets picked by Arabet, who is unseen by him, Right. So as Arabet decides he's going to cut the whole distance, he digs in, he bites that pellet and takes a big soaring jump across the entire audience into the center of the audience pit of this opera house to land flawlessly 80 feet above the floor. There is a bit of raucous applause. The guild masters make the pronouncement and uh, while they're intoning all the formalities of inducting Arabet into the guild, so say I, so say we all. Intonations, 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 intonations. So say I, so say we all. And then, on the last time, most of the apprentices are gone. And the, guild ma the high grand guild master looks at Arabet and says, as you stand, your apprentices support you. Your brothers guide you. Your sisters aid you. Your masters teach you. You are of the guild now, and all associated in your house. So say I. 
so surreal. It echoes through the through the halls. As you say, so say so say we all. The focus shifts back to Timothy's anxious and relieved. Sorry, Timothy's relieved features, which whose eyes suddenly widen with a look of shock on his face as he falls back onto the tiled mosaic floor of the gallery where he'd been watching your induction. A, black, a figure in black, faceless, not seen by the camera at this point, walks away as the camera takes a high oblique and Timothy falls on the tiled floor, bleeding a large bottle. The camera cuts out. Hey, Magma. Hey, how's it going? Not so bad. What the hell are you doing? Right at this exact moment in time? Yeah, in where can you be where can you be found when we turn the camera on the uh, fabulous Miss Magma Pantene? Um, well, she has realized that she is not bound to Rapscallion's manner. Um, nor is she bound to stay in the Lost Acre, and she has probably realized, hey, this would be fucking great. Let's go for a walk. And she'd probably be, you know, either walking up and down the Firth, checking out, you know, various, like, stalls and carts, you know, looking at various people, um, just, you know, people watching, taking in sceneries, sort of watching the day-to-day business that you know people go about doing now um you've probably been doing this for a couple of days am i correct in assuming you'd be doing that yeah more than likely especially if she's not needed for anything um and no, jay harris hasn't been said quiet, yeah it, it, it's been pretty quiet all around for you you just got a, a minute to unbunch um so you go f- for a walk for a couple of days by yourselves and that i do mean that because uh, it's like three days later that you notice you've had a constant Nigel escort. She uh, kind of tilts her head a little bit, and of course, speaking in draconic, uh, looks at the the Nigels and says, uh, "Of course, good evening or good afternoon, Nigel. It's good to see you, Nigel. Nigel." Oh, Miss Magma! All right, first time. You've been paying attention. Yes, Miss Magma, she got us all right. Did you hear that? Yes, great. Miss <laughs> uh, Magma? Um, yes, um, Master Calder has um, told us that we're not necessary for the whole rest of the week and that we can help you in any task that you want, but we didn't want to disturb you. So you're, you're telling me that you're my entourage for the next week? More or less, ma'am. Longer if you want. Master Calder says we can stay as long as we're necessary but certainly for the rest of the week. He knows you wanted spick and span. Well, she she must have noticed the job we did on all the iron in the basement. I did, yes, of course, notice such things, but I didn't want to... um, I didn't want to, of course, draw attention to your skills at such time, and I'm more thankful at the fact that you were able to get Ben out of the walls. Uh, That said... I'm just going for a walk, darlings. It's nothing too in-depth, nothing. I'm not on any sort of great quest. I'm just, you ever just wanted to get the flow and feel for something? 
Yes, of course. Um, but, but don't let us disturb you. We can we can carry packages if you like. You seemed rather overborne the other day, but we didn't. Again, we didn't want to bother. Well, it was mostly picking up sundry items, of course, for the manor. Nothing. Now that are, I think are you, about do it, me, nothing. Do you mean? Nothing, do you mean to tell me that you've let her waste her time carrying groceries, armloads of you lazy bastards? I'm sorry, ma'am. Nigel and Nigel normally aren't so indolent. To be completely honest, I don't mind. It's it's a form of training for myself, of course. Uh, it's just, yeah, sometimes I like to be able to have a physical, tangible thing in order to be able to clear my mind. It's uh, it's from years of training. I do apologize. Right, and some of us realize that we are only kobolds and don't try thinking for the master. So there. I'm sorry, Miss Magma. Didn't mean to. Didn't mean to cut you off. Was a yes, quite. A, see, she said she needed the exercise. Indolent, indeed. Shame on you, Nigel. <laughs> Nigel, Nigel, please stop fighting with Nigel. This this is not the time or place for, for that sort of thing. If you're going to duel, you can do it in the backyard at the manor. Either way. Who said, any, who said anything about Nigel? What's Nigel got to do with this? No, no, love. She, she meant you. Oh, right. Yes. Well, sorry. Um, wasn't listening right, ma'am. <laughs> yes, anyway. So, yes, for the next few days, you have an entourage of uh, three hilarious kobolds who follow you everywhere and do various sundry tasks for you. Well, I mean, like when you need buckets of water hauled or, you know, something for them to do and the floor isn't quite sanitary enough to eat off of. Know what I mean? Right? Like after a few days, you're inventing shit for that, for them to do. Awesome. Creative make work projects also. So there's a, like, I mean, there's a couple of days where you, uh, you and the, you and the Nigel get the, the garden planted after Jaharis drops a flower by for you. It's a fire lily from uh, Hoydenheim. He uh, had it, he found it in a North End greenhouse and uh, had it shipped down there because, in his words, this place needs more fire, more life, you know, more magma. And then he gave you this fire lily. And uh, turns out Nary does have buckets of money after all. And uh, no problem opening an account at any greenhouse you wanted to, uh, you know, landscape this project which is taking place all over the house by the way um you've been like you, you did mention you were going to clean it up and you know since those halflings showed up the other day and after that thing in the basement and all this and that the place has just been a hive of activity right so after you set the nigels to finding orange and uh purple strawberries to plant in your garden and at least get them the hell out of your hair, you're off for another stroll. Where you go? I think she'd like for sure to get out of the lost acre. And I think she's going to go someplace that she hasn't gone before. Someplace that would be normally out of her sort of comfort zone. Um, I know, I know that there are several like waterfalls around Bailey Mina. Um, she might certainly want to check out like either a couple of those or see if there happens to be any sort of like, like 
other sorts of school martial art wise like what what else is there aside from like bare knuckle boxing and other forms of martial arts here that's what she's you know probably going to go look into sure fair enough um so magma deciding to get out of the lost acre um wearing a kerchief over her burning hair so she's not quite so easy to spot slinks away from her attentive entourage just to have some time alone and jumps on the buster Oh, the Buster, the Bailey Mina Sky and Rail Transit System. It's uh, yeah, Sky Transit and Rail System. That's it. Um, I'll do that again. Oh, the Buster, the Bailey Mina Sky Transit and Rail System, the thing which keeps the city connected far faster than the streets, albeit more expensive and a little more exclusive. You do have to go quite a few blocks to catch a bus a buster station there aren't any in the lost acre so once you get on there it's your first time in anything like this and it's a quick train that doesn't make a lot of noise as it chugs along these elevated tracks you see the various strata of the neighborhoods as the trains climb in elevation and stop at various stations and Finally, like you're just having such a great time watching the world go by and the various levels of the city and the waterfalls which fall into aqueducts under which are built various neighborhoods and, you know, just all the layers of the city. And for a while, this train chugs up amongst the, the midpoint of the towers, right? So you're up above the mist for a while. It's, uh, it's glorious and sunny and, you know, like you, for 10 minutes, it just chugs along with Nothing but sunshine pouring in through the window. And uh, it's, it's honestly, there was the mines and then like weeks and weeks of chasing rats. And now it's all been cleaning. And today it's a bright, sunny day. Once the um, the buster comes to a stop, she, um, she'll she get up and, and exit uh, and just sort of walk along the streets, kind of take in... Um, take in her surroundings, you know, enjoy, enjoy being outside and enjoy feeling the sun on her face. Like she'll even pull her, her hair out of the scrunchie and just sort of let it, let it do. Yeah. Well, where you are, there are lots of white sandy beaches and like uh, beachside restaurants and cottage dwellings, like very touristy kind of a, well, like any beach town along Lake Huron or, you know, the Interlakes, for instance, in Manitoba, Gimli or Grand Beach uh, in Ontario, Wasaga Beach. I'm sure there are beaches like this wherever there is water. So everybody knows the type of town that I'm talking about. This is the district of Bailimina known as Farshell. You've heard of it. It's touristy. I mean, the season is off. There are a couple of chip, fish and chip joints and, you know, the last diehards that are hanging on till reaptide until they close their doors for the season. But, uh, yeah, soon the summer will be truly over and it'll snow. But for now, it's just a nice day and you find that you're at the beach because, you know, end of the line. She'll, uh, she'll head on over to the sand because she there's this sort of brief flash of a memory of her like when she was smaller like maybe around six or seven years old and her and her family had sort of packed up and gone to 
a similar sort of beach in Paradua and how she loved feeling sort of the sand between her toes and just sitting in the heat, right, from that's created from the warm sand, right, from the from the sun and just listening to the surf and, and whatnot and just enjoying. So she does sort of the same sort of thing. She uh, steps on over to the sand, takes her boots off, sort of holds them in hand and very tightly, I might add, she holds them in hand and just sort of walks along barefoot on the, on the sand and just, you know, soaks in the warmth and you know, kind of goes up to like the edge of the beach and kind of, you know, plays almost like chasing the water kind of thing, lets it kind of chase her. She tries to dash back to stop herself from getting totally soaked by the incoming tide. Well, it, it, it tickles when you walk into the surf, right? Like, especially if you've just been sitting out in the sun and the sand and getting nice and hot, right? Like uh, most humans, when they go to the water, like all hot like that would feel it cold they'd feel it cooling it would feel pleasant for you there's a sizzle as the water boils away and it tickles right until your skin cools down enough where you know it can cool you off and you can swim around like a normal person and eventually it even puts your hair out to just its its base red color you can go swimming you are a human you'll light right up as soon as you dry out again you are a fire a fire gin but uh yeah, like it tickles to dive into the water when you're hot. So that, that's part of the dashing back and forth is the way it tickles. Yeah, she even stands there for a little bit and just like, just laughs, <laughs> right? You know, every once in a while kind of lifts up her feet because it tickles so much. And it's kind of like a, kind of like when you tickle like a, um, like a sibling or, or like a family member, how you tickle them and you tickle them and you tickle them until they almost can't take it anymore and then you stop just long enough for them to go "Ah," and then you tickle them again right it's sort of that kind of thing okay so this goes on for a few minutes and then like eventually you just like lie back in the sand and there's that like out here there's no mist right it's all just sunshine and beach and she's uh, making sand angels just lying there on your back making sand angels when you're aware of approaching feet heavy approaching feet she uh, stops and kind of gently sits up and starts to brush the the sand off and looks around to where the feet are coming from. Uh, well, they appear to be attached to a large man carrying a large man's boots in his hand, walking barefoot across the sand. He wears the uniform of an Imperial Navy officer and appears to be of Irish stock. She stops and she blinks and sort of stands up kind of narrows her eyes at him a little bit more. Is it? Is it Coulson? He gets up a little closer and he says, Begging your pardon, madam, but uh, I know this must seem goddamn irregular, but, well, is your name Magma? She lets out this long kind of sigh and sort of nods and she she says yes indeed my name is my name is magma how may i help you well ma'am my name is carl colson and well madam i'm your biggest fan cutscene fuck <laughs> this next one's with nari ziva has just left Nari, you're alone in the house. 
Uh, you chase five out by the air because fuck him, it's your house. Oh, uh, yeah, he's another one of the agents, right? That's his deal. He's the fifth apprentice, and so is the autumn apprentice. You have to put him up. You're the most recently promoted. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. That's, but yeah, he can he can give me the house for uh, for a bit. Well, he can also get his own shit. You did when you were the fifth apprentice. It's expected, but he still is like he's had what a month, two. How long have you been with these bunch of guys? Hard to tell. Everything's gone by so quickly. What is happening to time, Nari? The world kind of spins then, and you brace yourself in the lintel post of your staircase. Suddenly, you you feel like a strong need to go just lay down because, holy fuck, something's not right. All right. Well, I'll sort of make my way. What's the nearest room's uh, job's worth? Cernari's, whichever. I'll just like stumble to the this nearest is, bed. Th- this is this is job's worth's house, which is why you came back here, right? Uh, right. the, the, the fifth apprentice lives with Jobsworth. Obviously, Nari has his own place, and so does his lordship. But uh, they know they weren't as convenient. So Jobsworth, it was. Um, but like you, you just like your head is pounding, and everything's spinning. And like as you pass the mirror on the first landing of your stairs going up, you go walking past, and you look, and your your skin is chalk fucking white. Like you're not made up at all either. Right? You just put on a basic job's worth illusion. And as soon as no, as soon as Ziva left, you drop that because you're just going to go clean up and get ready for the rest of your day. But something is fucking odd. And your heart is pounding and there's noise. Just all this like loud, whining, high-frequency, high-pitched noise. It's like you're, you can hear it with your, the backs of your eyes. And you, like you're kind of... Can you please roll a constitution save for me? Five. You're not sure how long it is until you can get your equilibrium again, but it's a while. And you get the heaves and you get the spins and you're like, fuck, what ha- what's happened to me? Have I been poisoned? You know, who did it? Was it Ziva? Couldn't be Ziva. Was it Ziva? And then like you stand up and turn to face yourself away from the stairs as though you were going down them. So you can sit down and catch your bearings and you see yourself reflected in the mirror that you just saw yourself looking pale in your face is crawling all over your skull man it's not making any sense like your mouth is opening and closing quite against your will you don't even feel it but it's reflected in the mirror so you touch your face and that's not happening to your face what the fuck is going on here and then everything pitches forward and the camera cuts to the side as we see nari fall straight across the staircase and into the mirror which goes splash like a puddle then calms. I beg to be adored. Yes, and I lost control and tumbled overboard. Gladly. That little kiss are you stole. Are you stole? Yes, Are you stole? Yes, Are you Yes, my heart. And that, my friends, is a wrap for season one. 
We'll be back soon with season two. But in the meantime, we've got a couple other things we'd like to show you. Next episode of Rapscallions is coming up soon. And it's a wrap where we talk about the whole season in general and uh, maybe drop a few hints as to where we're going to go in season two. Um, After that, we've got a show about the show called Masters of the Runiverse, where uh, we just talk to the players and stuff and get to know them a little bit. That's all coming up on the Runelander series. Chris, can you do the uh, Dramatis Personae for us this week, please? Yeah, for sure. Our notorious, notorious notary is Nari Hulu, and he is played by the one and only Eric Martin. The fiery Miss Magma is brought to life by Shauna Mulligan. Uh, Mr. Stitch is played by the Mighty Fenris, and I gotta love, gotta love Mr. Stitch. He's my one of my favorite characters. Ziva Hulu is played by Shireen, the Mad Fishmonger. Please check out her site. And Calder is played by the one and only Sean Yo, who makes a perfect, perfect smug bastard. He's a smarmadon from way back. And, of course, Arabet, the best character in the show, is played by none other than Christopher. And for the love of Nigel, my last name is pronounced Stock of Ass. You know. Thanks, Chris. We'll, uh, we'll see you next season. Thanks for all your hard work, and we'll catch you... Uh... We'll catch you soon for Masters of the Runiverse. Can't wait to pick your brain. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, no problem, man. We'll see you soon. Listen here, see? All music played on Runelanders are licensed for for use through SoCan for 2019. You can check out our credentials on our website at runewise.games. This episode, we open and close with our customary theme, Amy Winehouse's hit, you know I'm no good. It's an instrumental version. In between, you'll find, well, another instrumental song, in this case, Handful of Sunshine by Professor Elemental and Tom Carawan. Wu-Tang Clan Ain't Nothing to Fuck With by, unsurprisingly, the Wu-Tang Clan. Someplace by Nick Waterhouse. Waiting Room by Fugazi. The Passenger by Iggy Pop. Delilah by The Flatters. Girl from Ipanema by Stan Getz with Astrid Gilberto. Heart and Soul by The Cleftones. The Carney by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And finally, Back to Black, originally by Amy Winehouse, but covered by the Midnight String Trio. Like what you hear? Reach out and let us know. We're at Cast Runes on Twitter and Runelanders on Facebook. You can even drop us a line at runelanders at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Feedback, compliments, criticisms, fan mail. Ask the cast, ask the characters. We'll read your mail on the show. Until next, well, I'm Adam. Take care. Hearken well to Mr. Stitch, who sits hunched over a writing desk, scratching words into paper that are not made of letters, but of sense. Beneath these full moons he feverishly writes, and we look over his shoulder and peek into what he is saying. My warmest Valoria, for the longest time it seems my voice was left behind me. My greatest gift was dead. My ears could no, no longer hear the perfect pitch of music. 
and left both mute and deaf. A loneliness that nearly took the rest of my senses. I cried like anyone who has a soul would have, but remained silent as a rock afterwards. But I can stay nay silent no longer. I have tried to forget you. I have tried to move on like you told me to do, to be the tiger in the land of alley cats, but I cannot. I cannot forsake you and I cannot stand at the edge of this cliff no longer teetering at its railless borders without a rope. I can not no longer see your face. The distance of this rift between us has grown so wide that your voice, that was once a whisper in my ears, now an echo upon the wind. My heart breaks each day and I cannot be with you and our child. It aches now with an overused muscle, both sore and wanting to quit. I believe it to be easier to look the other way. I believed it, to forget and move on. But that is not the case. I dreamt of you this past night. I recalled in my mind's eye the heat of our first touch, the ghostly feeling of you pressed against me, the taste of your breath that breathed life into my spirit. I dreamt of the, of, of, of our parting and the way you looked upon me, how you pushed me away and told me to run, how I was able to let go of you was a weakness rather than bravery. I know that now. This past week, I saw something that sparked hope in my heart. Two simple halflings standing on the docks, seeing each other for the first time in a long time, brought together both by chance and by challenge. Two loved ones embraced each other after being apart for so long. And then they heard their words, the words of two lovers wanting to make a new life in this promised land. It sparked that electricity in me, the desire and drive, the remembrance of things far left buried for so long, the need to have you here in this new world by my side. I have done all right and I have friends here. I have now ways to make contacts to get you in our child here. All that remains is the money and to make this miracle happen. The promised land is within our reach. If you love me, if you have ever loved me, you will find a way to contact me. To do so, when you receive this letter, send it back with a messenger, but with a bit of your hair, so I may know your desire to be with me once again. Steal away your emotions, the same way you have stolen my heart my warmest summer. Deep, dream of a time where we will together and be together once again. All my love. Grey Winter's Morning.